0: Everybody, hope you're doing well. It is Wednesday, July twenty first. It is ten thirty a.m., and we are studying scripture. That's right. We are back studying the book of Hebrews. We are in Hebrews chapter four. If you missed the first three chapters of Hebrew, you can find them on the Grace Abides podcast and the No Shortage of Questions podcast. So, Hebrews chapter four, some good stuff today about rest, about entering rest, and so. We're going to start right at verses 1 and 2. Therefore, while the promise of entering rest, uh, entering his rest is still open, let us take care that none of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For indeed, the good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. So if you remember at the end of chapter 3, uh, the writer of Hebrews was talking about the unfaithful Israelites who didn't get to see the promised land. They failed to reach it, as it says here. And and so uh, this is talking about rest, about basically, I think the the best way to that we can explain what this means is rest is eternity, is heaven. And so how do we get there? Well, we remain faithful. Those who didn't ma- make it there, they were not united by faith, right? So, so remain faithful faithful. We, uh, the, the promise of God's rest is a promise that is made to us in the same way that it was made to the children of Israel. And so God promises to you, to me, to those who are faithful, this eternal rest, but they did not receive it. And so God did not create this place of rest for nothing. And so, uh, the Israelites who, as chapter three says, uh, were unfaithful, didn't follow God, didn't make it. So God opened up the gates to the non-Israelites. Now remember, this is a book that is titled Hebrews. It is written to Jewish people. And so basically the point here made to Jewish people is, if you're not going to believe, guess what? God's going to fill the space somehow. And so uh, God is opening the gates of heaven to the, the Gentiles uh, because there are Israelites who don't believe, but you as an Israelite who are reading this or who are hearing somebody read it or are hearing this as a a sermon, you need to believe because God, the promise of rest is made to you as it is to all people now. Uh, verses three and four for we who have believed enter that rest, just as God has said, as in my anger, I swore, they shall not enter my rest though his works were finished at the foundation of the world for in one place it speaks about the seventh day is followed and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. So another connection to rest for the faithful, but uh, I find this interesting for uh, uh, they shall not enter my rest though. His works were finished at the foundation of the world for in one place it speaks about the seventh day as follows and God rested on the seventh day. I think when we talk about heaven, we talk about heaven. We ask the question: What are we going to do there? What are we going to do in heaven? What are we going to do for all of eternity? What, I mean, are we going to go? Are we going to go to heaven so that we can work? Right? I say this to you today: There are no janitors in heaven. There are no altar, There is no altar guild in heaven. We do not go to heaven to work. We go to heaven to rest. So, what do we do while we're resting? What do we do while we're resting? Well, I think part of what what Sabbath is, Sabbath is a day of rest, but it's also a day of connection, right? A day where we are connected to God through worship and in other ways, and a day that we pause the hectic schedules that we have and we reconnect to one another. And so as part of this eternal godly rest is a time of connection, a time of connecting with God and connecting with one another. That is what heaven seems to be. That's what heaven, what scripture seems to uh, talk about, our un- understanding of what heaven is going to be. And and I got to tell you, that sounds pretty good. It sounds pretty good that heaven is going to be a place of rest and connection. It's going to be a time of rest and uh, uh, reunion, right? Relationships, new and old relationships, coming together. When you think about times of rest, you think about holidays. Holidays are a time where it's not just that we don't go to work, right? Or a day off, right? But it's a time where we connect with our friends and family. And to me, that's, I think, what heaven, the vision of heaven we have, uh, is what heaven's going to be like and what the vision uh, here we have. Uh, Okay, jumping ahead to verse 11. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one may fall through such disobedience as theirs. Let us make every effort to enter that rest. So basically what we have here is is that the rest is offered by God, and so is there effort on our behalf to enter that rest? Can we, by our own effort, enter that rest? I would say, no, we don't get in by our own effort. There's nothing about our own effort that gets us in. However... However, God does not force that rest upon us. And so by our own effort, if we decide, you know what, I don't want to go there. I think we can talk our way out of it. I think we can live our way out of it. I think we can decide that we don't want to be there, that we don't want to be in the presence of God as we rest eternally. And, and just as in life, as in death, as in eternal life, if we don't want God, God's not going to force himself upon us. Those who don't want to be there don't have to be. Right. And so, you know, when we talk about universal salvation, everyone goes to heaven. Well, I don't believe that. I don't believe that because God is a God of free will. God is a God of freedom. And so if you, if you say, I don't want to be there, you know what God's going to say? Okay. I love you enough that I'm going to let you make that decision and you're not going to be here. Rob Bell wrote a book called Loved Wind several years ago where he says the gates to hell are locked on the inside. It's for the people who want to be there, right? Hell is for the place who Hell is a place for people who want to be there. For people who in life wanted nothing to do with God and who in death want nothing to do with God. Uh, and so God doesn't force that rest upon anyone. But it's there if you want it. It's there if you want it. I think that's an important part here. Verse 12. Indeed. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing until it divides soul from spirit, joints from marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The word of God is living and active. It's alive and powerful. The word of God sees our hearts. The word of God knows our weaknesses, knows our doubts. I mean, when we say the word of God, what we were saying, God knows, right? The word of God, it, God knows our hearts. God knows our weaknesses. God knows our doubts. And the word of God, and when we open the Bible and start reading, the Holy Spirit works, right? The word of God through the acts of the Spirit, it's alive and powerful and speaks to us. And it's just not when we read scripture, but when we go to worship, when we hear a sermon, uh, whenever we are in a place where faith is discussed, and the gospel is proclaimed our hearts and minds are open to what the spirit will say to us and that can be alone in a closet reading scripture that can be in a in a crowded sanctuary where a, a pastor is proclaiming the gospel and the promises of god speaking to us the word of god this is it's sharper than any two-edged sword dividing our soul from spirit it's able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart I can't tell you how many times I've given a sermon and uh, when the service is over, standing at the door, people on the way out saying, that's exactly what I needed to hear today. How did you know I was thinking about that? How did you know that was something I was struggling with? How did you know to deliver that message today when that's what I needed to hear? And the answer is always the same. I didn't. <laughs> I didn't. That's just the the miracle of God, the the word of God, the spirit of God that knows what people are dealing with and that that works through pastors and that works through you know when you're just going to sit down and open scripture and knowing that when when you need to hear something that it's in there and helping you to find it uh, there's times where there's times where I'm writing a sermon and I get to the end and I think oh if I just had one more verse if I just had one more verse that would could just tie this whole thing together I I just need to find that verse somewhere and then I read through the four texts for that day. And that verse is right there in front of me. And I've read it 17 times, but it didn't speak to me until right now. I didn't even recognize it. I didn't even notice it until right now. It's like that verse has been there the whole time. There, the scripture, scripture is alive and it's powerful. And we are so, so, so blessed to have it. Uh, and I pray that uh, that you do read scripture and that this podcast is nothing more than a way to help you uh, enter into a, a reflection on scripture, whether it be Hebrews or any of the other books of the Bible that we've done. And certainly hope that Andy is able to to join me soon. Uh, I know he's had a busy summer and so we hope to, to get back together so that we can do just that. So we can help you enter into scripture and what it might mean for you in this time and in this place. Uh, So, uh, verses 14 through 16, kind of a short chapter, so we're just going to stop here. Verses 14 through 16, Jesus, our high priest. 14, since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who in every respect has been tested as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Okay. Three verses, but wow, this is some good stuff here. We're going to unpack this. This is really, really good theology. This is really, really powerful stuff. Okay. Jesus is our high priest. That's great. It's great to know. It's good to know, right? Which means Jesus is the one who intercedes on our behalf to God, God, the father, which is, it's great to have Jesus as our high priest. Verse 16, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who in every respect has been tested as we are, yet without sin. The Greeks back then, they believed that, that the primary attribute of God was apathy. Greek word apatheia, basically the inability to feel anything at all. We we know this, Apathy. It's not, I mean, we know what apathy looks like. It's, it's it's not that I, you know, want bad things to happen to you or good things. It's just I don't really care either way, right? That's apathy. Eh, I don't really care either way. I don't care either way. You know, it's like watching a basketball game. Who do, who do you want to win? Eh, I don't care either way. I, don't, I guess the NBA finals are going on. I don't really follow basketball. And I think Phoenix is playing Milwaukee. Eh, I don't care either way. It's like, whatever. Someone's going to win. Just hope it's a better team. Whatever. I don't care. But that that's how the Greeks thought that the gods were, right? The gods, they didn't care. They didn't care. And I think there's a lot of people who live today who don't, who, who might believe that there is a God, yeah, I don't. God doesn't care. God doesn't care about me. God doesn't care about you. If God cared about me and you, God would do something about the world. God would make my life better. God would make our lives better, right? But that's not the God that we have, we don't worship a God who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses because Jesus knows exactly what we're going through. He went through the same things. He had the same temptation. Jesus was tempted in ways that will never be tempted, right? Uh, the, Jesus is, uh, the, 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 the devil takes Jesus to the high mountaintop and looks at all the kingdoms of the world and says, these can all be yours if you bow down to me. Basically, I will make you the king of the world if you bow down to me. I mean, that's not a temptation that you and I have, right? No one is saying, hey, you know, you know, Nick, if you bow down to me, I'll make you the king of the world. Well, you know, that's a temp- That that Jesus knows what it feels like to be tempted. Jesus knows what it feels like to battle against sin. Uh, and Jesus knows what it feels like to overcome that. Jesus knows what it feels like to lose a friend. Jesus knows what it feels like to be hungry. Jesus knows what it feels like to be let down, to be sad, to be disappointed, to be angry. Jesus knows what it feels like. Jesus has been there through it all in the same way that you and I go through it all. I hope that gives you comfort. That gives me comfort that that God knows what we're going through. Not only that God knows what we're going through, that God has gone through it too. God knows what it feels like. It's like, you know, I, I can say, oh man, I really don't know what that I know you're going through something tough right now. I can't imagine what it feels like, but I'm here for you, Right? Right? Or you know what, hey, I've been there. I know exactly what that feels like. And maybe I don't know exactly how you're feeling right now, but I know exactly what it feels like, and I'm here for you. I'm here to to feel that with you and to support you through it. that's that's what our God says and does. Because He is our high priest, our high priest who knows all this stuff because he has been there and tempted in the ways we've been tempted he can sympathize with our weaknesses, therefore, Let us approach the throne of grace with boldness. The throne of grace with boldness. Meaning we can walk up to God with boldness because the throne of God is a throne of grace. It is a throne where the person who sits upon it knows what we've gone through, knows how we felt, knows the temptations, knows the struggles, knows the pain, knows the weaknesses. Right. The um, ancient rabbis taught that God had two thrones, one of mercy and one of judgment. They said this because God was both merciful and just. Right. But they didn't know how to reconcile the two. And so they said, well, there must be a throne for mercy and a throne for judgment, a throne for justice. Uh, but here, in light of what God has done through Jesus Christ, whose, sin, uh, whose, whose death has forgiven sins and given the promise to eternal life, we see mercy and judgment come together and is reconciled into one throne, and that is a throne of grace. We have this image of God often as this judge waiting to, to, to smite, right? This judge waiting to punish, this judge waiting to make someone's life miserable, but that's not what the image is here. It's a throne of grace. It's a throne where we can, with boldness and confidence, stand before it, and whoever sits upon it knows that. That all the things we've done in our life, we've done because we are sinful and because we are weak and, and God's not going to hold that against us. God has chosen to see us in a different way. God has chosen to love us and forgive us and, and we can come to that throne knowing that the person who sits upon it loves us, right? Knowing that the one who sits upon it has already died for us, has already shown us grace and will continue to show us grace. Therefore, we do not need to fear the presence of God. Because the presence of God, when we are in God's presence, God will sit upon a throne of grace, and how wonderful news that is—that God sits upon a throne of grace. We all need God's grace, and not—I mean—the confidence to know that God sits upon a throne of grace instead of a God who sits upon a throne of judgment, right? When you—you know—in a judge's seat, basically a courtroom, right? That—that that God is sitting there waiting to uh, dispense punishment. For the mistakes that we've made, that is not who God is. God sits upon the throne of grace. Powerful, powerful, powerful verses. Uh, scripture that is comforting, and that uh, I certainly hope um, gives you a, a better understanding into who God is. I mean, these are ancient words. These are these are not. I'm not just reading, you know, scripture. Um, scripture the way that I want to see it. This is just what Scripture says. This is in there. This is what Scripture says. This is what Scripture tells us about who God is and why why we should love a God who loves us. I mean, it's just so powerful and so wonderful, and so we are uh, grateful for it. So uh, let us pray. Uh, Lord, we thank you so much for your grace. We thank you that you have given it to us and for the hope that we have uh, uh, through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, for the hope that we have in our faith which promises eternal rest. And Lord, uh, we pray that when that, whenever that rest comes, that we would walk, uh, upon, uh, walk into the heavenly gates, walk uh, into your presence with boldness and confidence, knowing that we are loved and knowing that you are a God of grace and help us to share that grace with others because the world so desperately needs to know your grace and your love in Jesus' name, amen. All right, everyone, have a wonderful day. We will see you next week with Hebrews chapter five. Take good care of yourselves. And uh, if you like the podcast, please tell somebody about it. We uh, uh, would always love to have a new listener. So take good care of yourselves. See you soon.